audience and welcome back to Past the Time Podcast. What is going on? I mean, I haven't talked to you guys a long time. I mean, probably been like three weeks since the last episode. It's been a long, long time. Too long, you could say. But the reason I haven't put out an episode is because uh, I've been on vacation. And vacation's always awesome. So I decided to cut all ties and just relax for a few weeks, you know? Just, uh decompress before I jump back into the podcast and into work and everything, so I enjoyed my time off, but now it's time to get back into the creepypasta madness, which is Past the Time Podcast. Now, before we get into the meat of the show, which is what I like to call the creepypastas and such, uh, I'm going to talk about some of my thrifting finds over this amazing vacation I've had. I usually open the show with uh, kind of whatever I find at thrift stores and stuff. And over the last couple weeks, I found some pretty good stuff. So, actually, yesterday, I found the Twilight Zone DVD, the movie. Would have been awesome if I found, like, the original series on DVD, but whatever, whatever. Uh, this is a, this movie is kind of really a sweet find to me because I never find it anywhere. I don't see it at HMV, Walmart, nowhere. And this movie, uh, three people actually died while filming it. There was a scene where... Uh, they were using a helicopter and a lot of practical effects like explosions and stuff that caused this helicopter to fly too low to the ground and cut three actors in half, supposedly. But uh, the actors were Vic Morrow, Renee Shin, Yi Chen, and then Micah Din Lee. Two of them were children. One was just an, one was an adult, not just an adult. But that makes this movie especially as intense. So you can check out uh, the video of how that actually happened on YouTube. Kind of disturbing to know that these people actually died during this filming, but it makes for an interesting story, at least. I don't know if that's the right thing to say. But on to some of the other items I found while thrifting. I found uh, Revenge RS from the Series 2000 of Goosebumps. Very exciting. I'd never seen a copy of that one before. It's a big crow on the front, just effing shit up. Uh, I got uh, the Best of the Simpsons VHS box set, which was really exciting for me, and I watched them... Actually, uh, two or three days ago, on my amazing vacation, I also got a set of four Simpsons mugs, which was pretty awesome. They're, uh, one of them's Bartman, they're from, like, 2006, and they're in pretty awesome condition, so drink my coffee out of those. I'm actually drinking some coffee out of one right now. Give you the sound effects. Delicious. And there was some other stuff I found thrifting, probably some Stephen King books and such. Can't remember which ones... Oh, well, my buddy found Misery and Dreamcatcher yesterday, both of those amazing books. I was uh, pretty disappointed I didn't get to them first, but, you know, take some, you lose some. Because yesterday I also found Thriller on vinyl. Well, actually, I didn't find it. Good friend of the podcast, Gray Major, he's been on before. He found two copies of Thriller at a local Goodwill store. So me and my buddy Roe both got one. And, yeah, very excited about that. I mean, Thriller? I don't care what Michael Jackson did with his life. He created Thriller. He couldn't have done anything wrong. But that pretty much does it for my thrifting finds over this vacation. <clears throat> There's probably been a... Actually, probably some more stuff, but... You know, it's just been so long. It's been like a three-week hiatus for the show. Just can't remember what I thrifted before, what I thrifted after. Uh, but... You know what I did do? I started playing Dead Space 3 on PlayStation 3... If you haven't played any of the Dead Space games, go back and play the first one. It still holds up today. I mean, that's one of those games that I had to play with the lights off, just by myself in my room. And you're on a spaceship, surrounded by these crazy-ass alien things. And, 
oh my god, it's so much fun. You can upgrade your guns, you can upgrade your health, or your stasis suit, or whatever it's called, but it's one of the best horror survival games of all time, and the series is pretty good. I played the first and second one, but uh, I never got around to playing the third one for some reason, so over this vacation, I picked it up from the local EB Games, and I think I'm about 50% done it right now, and I love it. I'm on a snow planet right now, so I love snow, I love Christmas, and when you can integrate uh, snow levels into horror games, it makes it that much better for me. Also, the survival horror game Until Dawn came out for PS4. That is a game I'm going to play probably right when I finish Dead Space 3, because, you know, you can't jump back and forth between horror video games. you got to kind of fully immerse yourself in them to truly appreciate how good they are. So I'm looking forward to that, probably probably be playing that in about a week or two, and then I can talk about it on the podcast, which I will be extremely excited to do. But other than that, there's not really much going on over here. So let's just move on to the next thing to talk about. So normally I do the horror fix, but in honor of uh, Wes Craven's passing, I've decided to forego the horror fix this week and just talk about my five favorite, <clears throat> my five favorite Wes Craven horror movies. So... For this list, I didn't I didn't want to do a list just of like Nightmare on Elm Street movies, so only one movie per franchise, so only one Scream movie, one Nightmare on Elm Street, one of The Hills Have Eyes, so on and so forth. And you know what? Let's just go into that right now. Let's do this top five. So at number five on this list, uh, it's probably not a very popular pick. Uh, it's <laughs> A Vampire in Brooklyn starring Eddie Murphy. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, I can't really blame you. Um, Eddie Murphy in a type of horror-ish movie. He plays Maximilian, the only survivor in a race of vampires from the Caribbean island, and he must go to Brooklyn to find a mate to have a baby with and keep his race going, you know? So, pretty pretty unoriginal premise. (laughs) But I remember watching this as a kid and loving it, and I haven't seen it since because... I don't want my memories to be skewed and find out that this movie actually is horrible. So I might watch this maybe uh, in a year or two when I can decompress and maybe be like, oh, maybe I can look past some of the flaws in the movie. But as I remember it, I remember it being pretty good. So I'll just give it its props. Vampire in Brooklyn, 1995. Check that out. Number four on the list is a movie from 1977. It is the original The Hills Have Eyes. So in this movie, a family, uh, they're traveling and their car breaks down kind of in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and they get attacked by some inbred savages throughout the entire movie. So this movie is pretty disturbing. It's really good. Um, Obviously, Wes Craven is kind of a master of horror. And I remember watching this as a kid as well. This is another movie I haven't seen recently, but this movie's just really disturbing. I mean, it's these crazy savages just torturing and killing these innocent people throughout the entire movie. Very creepy, and that's why it lands at number four on the list. And number three on the list is the first installment in the Scream movie series. So this, of course, is my favorite. If you haven't seen Scream, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you should probably go watch that right now. But, I mean... Who hasn't gone as Ghostface as a kid for Halloween? That's kind of the, one of the most generic costumes, and it's so easy, but yet it's so scary. And in this movie, if you don't know the premise, uh, a town is kind of on high alert after a serial killer is killing all the te- a bunch of teenagers, and 
it's uh, actually pretty thrilling. It's psychological in the fact that you don't know who the killer is. And the ending is pretty good. I mean, if it hasn't been ruined for you through pop culture and other movies, then it's a very enjoyable watch. So make sure you check that out. But it's only at number three. What could be ahead of it? Well, at number two, we have one of my favorite movies of all time, The People Under the Stairs, 1991. So, in this movie, there's a a couple of burglars break into this random house on the street, which they think rich people live in, and a kid breaks in with them. And they find out very quickly that there's a lot more than they bargained for. These people that live in this house are actually insane, and they keep all these people, like, locked up under their stairs, and they... Uh, it's messed up. They, like, crawl through the walls. But the people that live in the house are literally insane. And this movie just kind of culminates the fears of, like, that one house on your street that every kid talks about. They're like, oh, that's that house is haunted. Oh, the people that live there are crazy. And it makes that into a movie that's just, it feels too real. And it's very, very messed up. So that's number two on my list. And now time for number one. You probably could have guessed this because it's only one of the most iconic horror movies in the history of horror movies, and that is A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. I'm not going for Dream Warriors or A New Nightmare. The original is plenty good. I mean, Johnny Depp is pretty good at dying in it, so gotta pick it just for that. If you've never, if for some reason you haven't ever watched A Nightmare on Elm Street movie, uh, the premise of the movie is uh, Freddy Krueger was burned alive by a bunch of parents because he was touching their children inappropriately, and now he's come. he came back to haunt their children in their dreams and murder them in their dreams. So, you're not safe anywhere. One of the most messed up movies made you not want to go to bed as a child, and probably just permanently damaged millions of children, millions of teenagers all around the world. You know, that's how good it was. Or disturbing. But my first encounter with this movie was, uh, I, was a, I was a child, probably five or six, and I had my fourth birthday party on a video cassette. So it was recorded, put on a video cassette, and recorded right after my fourth birthday party is A Nightmare on Elm Street. So think of this as a kid, kind of home alone, five or six years old, throw in your birthday tape, kind of see how you were a couple years ago, finish that up, and then it jumps to the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And the opening scene in that movie shows Freddy like killing this one girl, or in her, or almost killing her in her dream, and then she wakes up. And that's pretty haunting to like a five or six year old. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know why Nightmare on Elm Street was recorded after my birthday on a, fi- on a video cassette. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? Maybe that helped instill my love of horror. We don't know. We don't know that. But that's the list. I'll quickly recap. Uh, number five, A Vampire in Brooklyn. Four, The Hills Have Eyes. Three, Scream. Two, The People Under the Stairs. And number one, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this honorable mention, but I couldn't put this in there because it wasn't a movie. But he also directed five episodes of The Twilight Zone in the 80s, so just got to give a shout out to Wes Craven for that. So thank you, Wes Craven, for being awesome. Now, with that being said... This week's Creepypasta has a little to do with uh, Wes Craven-ish, I guess. At least the theme, anyways. Um, the Creepypasta I'm reading this week is called Dreams That Can Kill. So, kind of as similar theme to Nightmare on Elm Street, which is kind of what I was going for, to kind of honor a horror icon. So, without further ado, this is Dreams That Can Kill. 
You've probably heard the phrase, if you die in your dream, you die in real life. I've always been skeptical of this phrase. I've never thought the phrase was logical. How does a figment of your imagination cause your mortal self to die? I kept believing that a dream was a dream, and that nothing in your dreams actually happened, unless it was some sort of flashback. But that all changed when I decided to create my own sleep experiment. Because of that experiment, I now believe that it is possible for you to lose your life from a terrifying experience in your dream. Do you want to know my story? Go ahead, read on. But you might regret knowing of my experience. I have always had a scientific mind. I had analyzed everything and thought of other possibilities before coming to a conclusion. Thus, I was an honor roll student. Straight A's in all my classes except gym. Boy, how I hated physical activity. Anyways, because of my highly inquisitive scientific mind, I had always been a skeptic of many of the theories and superstitions. No matter how much proof there was to back up a theory, I know that eventually, there will always be a factor that will completely destroy the theory. You could say I'm a little crazy because Isaac Newton's laws of motion are extremely accurate, but that's just the way I see the world. So now you know why I don't believe in the phrase, if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. But of course, my scientific mind decided to test it. For one week, I decided to do nothing but watch horror films and read creepypasta to trigger paranoia that causes nightmares. Hopefully, I would trigger a nightmare that causes me to die and eventually wake up, thus disproving that superstition. And so, this experiment began. Sunday, June 3rd, 2012. So today, I spent over 10 hours watching classic horror films and reading creepypastas. I have to admit, the stories were quite unnerving, but I didn't find them all that scary. However, before I went to sleep that night, I couldn't help but think that there was someone out there looking for me. I finally settled down and went to sleep. I woke up in a dark room that reeked of human decay. I was tied to a wooden slab, and I realized I could not even struggle. That's when I saw a shadowy figure in the corner of the room. Don't even bother struggling, the figure said, with a crazed voice that sounded raspy and crazed. I injected you with a serum that causes temporary paralysis. At this point, I was panicking. I kept trying to struggle even though I knew it wasn't possible because I was temporarily paralyzed. I kept trying and trying and trying, but it was no use. I was immobilized. That's when the figure turned towards me. He slowly moved forward and pulls out a knife, possibly getting ready to gut me alive. That's when I saw his face. I woke up. Unfortunately, I woke up before I had been killed in my nightmare. But I'll never forget that nightmare. It was so lucid. It was almost like it was real. It felt too real. And that face, that face was just so frightening. That figure had eyes of a demon. They seemed to stare directly into your soul. His skin wasn't pale like most psychotic murderers, but it was more blackened. It appeared as if his face was smeared with a blackened makeup. But of course, it was all a dream, right? That thing couldn't possibly be real. At least that's what I thought. Monday, June 4th, 2012. I spent another 10 hours watching horror films and reading creepypasta. All of it seemed very far-fetched, especially Slenderman, who I knew could never possibly exist. And slasher films tend to over-exaggerate the psychopath's tendencies of murders. However, the same feeling of paranoia continued to course through my veins. I still managed to settle down. This time, it was many years into the future. It was proven that there is life on other planets, and their technology was millions of years ahead of human technology. They decided to invade. Humanity was desperate. We ran frantically, hoping to gain shelter from the oncoming alien invasion. 
I kept hearing laser rifles being blasted everywhere, and I also kept hearing a droning sound, possibly the sounds coming from extraterrestrial vessels. To humanity's dismay, we were not safe. They had found us and captured every one of us. I blacked out, and woke up in what appeared to be a science laboratory. I saw many people being experimented on by the extraterrestrial beings. That's when I saw a bright white light. I woke up once too early again. So far, this experiment seems to be failing. I could never stay asleep to the point where whatever was coming at me would eventually kill me. Since this experiment lasted a week, and considering how lazy some people are when reading long stories, I've decided to cut out some of my journals and skip to the final night of the experiment. After all, I don't think you, the reader, would want to read a week's worth of dream journals. Saturday, June 9th, 2012. It's the final day of my experiment. I've spent 60 hours of my life watching horror films. Time to go for another 10. This time, however, I never felt that unnerved this time. Since I began doing this experiment, I've gradually become less and less freaked out by the horror films and creepypasta, so falling asleep was easy this time. It was a bright summer day. I was hanging out with a bunch of friends, mainly playing games and talking about our lives. That night we decided to dare each other into performing dastardly stunts. One of us jumped out of a third story window, another prank called the vice principal of our school. When it was my turn, they decided to dare me to run through the local cemetery and back, and repeat this action three more times. So I ran through it once, twice, three times, and that's when I blacked out. I woke up in the same dark room as the one in my first nightmare. I was tied up to the same wooden slab. The room still reeked of human decay. It didn't look much different from before. I also realized that I was able to move. Well, hypothetically, because I was practically immobilized being tied to the wooden slab. So I began to struggle. My actions caught the attention of the same figure, who was standing next to what appeared to be a small laboratory. He turned towards me, staring me down, with those same unnatural, demonic red eyes. You woke up, he said, still using that crazed, fearsome rasp. Too bad. I haven't finished the serum yet. I panicked. He was going to inject me with that same paralysis serum, thus suppressing my ability to struggle. I couldn't believe myself. I was still struggling to get free, even though I knew it was no use. But I guess it's human nature to want to be free. That's when I felt a shock. He violently injected the needle into my neck. I screamed in agony as the syringe pierced my spine, allowing the serum to flow freely and disable my nervous system, completely immobilizing me. Now where were we? He told himself, grabbing his cart of surgical tools. The last thing I heard was a demonic chuckle and the words, sweet dreams. Then I felt an extreme shock of pain through my chest as he stabbed me. I woke up. I was celebrating to myself because the experiment was successful. I managed to disprove the superstition that dying in your dream makes you die in real life. At least that's what I thought. I felt a brief shock of pain through my chest. Then I noticed the rope burns around my wrist and ankles. I also felt serious pain in the back of my neck, but I never realized the vividness of my dream until I took a look at my chest and right there was a giant scar right above the location of the human heart. So that was a pretty good creepypasta. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. Thus, I must rank it now. But I didn't like this uh, writer's use of thus. I think he was trying to sound smart, but it just didn't work. And then a lot of the grammar was kind of a little shoddy. So this character is supposed to be really smart, but they don't know how to write proper grammar at some point. So 
So the poor grammar kind of took me out of the story a little bit, but other than that, I enjoyed it. Uh, so just to get all the negatives out of the way first, um, I really like the story in this. Uh, I like the whole dream aspect, of course. But um, at the end, I was hoping that he would wake up and be paralyzed because to me that would be much more frightening than waking up with uh, the stab wound right above your heart. Because this person seemed like they were professional in the dream with this whole laboratory of murderous tools. And I think he would have got the heart. But being paralyzed is much more frightening than waking up with a scar. So that would have probably put bonus points into the scariness. But other than that, um, the whole storyline going through wasn't the scariest, I guess. I just enjoyed it because it had to do with dreams. And if you die in the dream, you die in real life. So that makes it good. Uh, yeah, I'll give this probably about a 7 out of 10. That seems about right. But that does it for the creepy pasta part of our episode. Let's jump right into our rate and review. So on this episode's edition of Rate and Review, it's going to be a double rate and review. Oh, very exciting. So I'm going to start off by reviewing the movie Sinister 2, which I saw probably about a week ago. Still pretty fresh in my mind, though. Uh, If you haven't seen the first Sinister, this movie is a sequel to that. It came out in 2012. That movie starred Ethan Hawke, and he is trying to save his family from this vicious entity called Bagul. And he might have been unsuccessful, but I'm not going to let you know that if you haven't seen it. So go watch that, and you're probably going to want to skip out on Sinister 2. That is my personal advice. So, this movie does not have Ethan Hawke. It actually is starring a guy named uh, James Ransom. He was in the first Sinister movie, and he played a deputy sheriff. And I think his name in that was, like, Deputy So-and-So. They didn't even give him, like, a real name. And he was a terrible actor. He cannot lead a film. He was good for some comic relief in the first one, but... Oh god, it was brutal watching him try to act his way through this entire movie. It was pretty brutal. But that was probably the biggest flaw in the whole movie. I mean, the acting all around was pretty terrible. But what I did like about this movie is it shows you the like child's perspective in dealing with Bagul and showing them how they become uh, these murderous little pieces of shit, I guess. So it shows us that uh, the children have to watch all these other videos to become... Uh, in this group with these other dead children that are, I guess, Bagul's slaves that are trying to get other children families. I don't know. Something like that. But this movie is definitely um, one that you should probably skip if uh, if you haven't seen the first one. If you have seen the first one, it's I guess it's kind of worth a watch just because uh, it gives you a kind of a cool perspective on what the children go through while they're becoming these assholes. And yeah. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that movie. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Probably give it about a 4 yeah, four out of 10. Definitely not a must-see. But the second thing I'm going to rate and review is something I'm actually very excited about. It was the first volume of the Michael Straczynski's uh, line of the Twilight Zone comic books. So uh, Dynamite Comics published these, and I just read the first one, and it was pretty awesome. I mean, the artwork's amazing, which is kind of the number one thing for me. And the story was pretty awesome. I mean, it was uh, very familiar to an episode of the 2000s Twilight Zone, which I just recently watched, where um, a guy was... um, 
He was kind of down on his luck. He was, wasn't happy. Well, I guess you wouldn't say down on his luck. He was just like a family type guy and he was sick of his mundane life. So he wanted something better. I'm talking about the episode here, not in the graphic novel. Don't want to ruin that for you. But in that episode, this guy finds out a way that he can actually overtake a better life, a rich person's life. And he does it not knowing the consequences of why the rich person would be willing to give up their life. And the rich person overtakes his life. So this comic book is just like that in uh, um, tons of many of the aspects, except there's a couple different wrinkles thrown in. And I don't know, it's in my hands right now. And I'm looking at uh, the artwork, just love it. And I think it uh, also connects with the other stories in the volumes of the Twilight Zone graphic novels. I mean, in volume one, uh, there's a character that's actually introduced in... Er, it's introduced in volume one, obviously, but they take on the main role in the second volume of the Twilight Zone. So that's pretty interesting. I'm going to have to pick that one up. This is definitely worth reading over seeing um, that crappy Sinister 2 movie. So I'm going to give this about an 8 out of 10, which is pretty good. It's a short read. It's about probably 98 pages, maybe maybe a bit less. But then they also have like a storyboard at the end which is pretty cool. So if you are looking to create your own comic book, graphic novel, show you how to do a storyboard. Very interesting stuff. But yeah, that pretty much does it for this episode of Past the Time Podcast. Make sure you check out Michael Straczynski's The Twilight Zone graphic novel, Volume 1, The Way Out. And probably it's a good idea to skip out on Sinister 2. Kind of sucks. But that does it for this episode. Uh, hopefully the next episode I make a little longer for you guys, have a good horror fix and everything. But uh, I'm kind of just getting back into the swing of things around here, so at least there's an episode this week. So enjoy, and try not to have too many nightmares, my friends.